Today on Blue 58, the new quarterback and head coach partnership in Green Bay will define this Packers season and many more to come. Let's spend some time figuring out where Jordan Love stands right now and what he and Matt LaFleur need to accomplish this year. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode because we get to do one of my favorite things. We get to dive deep on a subject and we get to combine some listener questions with that effort. But first, we've got to talk about a couple Packers roster moves. The Packers have released long snapper Jack Coco. Not entirely surprising, given that they signed a long snapper this offseason, Though, given the fact that he did play all 17 games for the Packers last year and was acceptable for the most part with a a couple bumps in the road, maybe, you know, you thought he could compete throughout training camp and just see if something strange happened. Not the case. However, they're not just going with their free agent signing from this offseason. The Packers have gone ahead and signed another long snapper along with two other free agents after their rookie minicamp. First of those three is long snapper Broton Hatcher out of Old Dominion. Six foot four, 242 pounds, went by B.R. Hatcher at Old Dominion. He was the sixth rated long snapper in the country coming out of high school. To tell you how deep down the rabbit hole I went looking for background info on him, he missed all but one game of the 2021 season due to an injury, but came back strong for 2022. According to his school bio, he never had a bad snap over his four years there. Take that for whatever it's worth. Obviously, a little bit of home cooking there. But they said he never had a failed snap over his time at Old Dominion. Packers also add cornerback William Hooper out of Northwestern State. If you're wondering, Northwestern State is in Louisiana. That's where they, they hang out. So five foot ten, 180 pounds, fairly well decorated at his level of college football. A significant contributor on special teams while he was at Northwestern State, blocked two kicks while he was there, and appeared on just about every phase of special teams, if you're wondering where he might have a role on the 2023 Packers, if anywhere. Finally, Packers sign Antonio Moultrie, a defensive lineman out of Miami. Six foot four, 275 pounds. He was defensive lineman number 101 for Dane Brugler this year in the in the Beast. A 5-2-4 relative athletic score, two and a half sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss in his career, which extends uh, through two colleges. He played his first four seasons at UAB before transferring to Miami of Florida, strictly a defensive lineman for Miami, did a little bit of edge stuff at UAB as well. Big projection here. Really looks like just a camp body, but you never know. But it does kind of mirror two Packers trends from this offseason. They're looking for smaller defensive linemen for whatever reason. They're also looking for versatile defensive linemen, guys who can line up at every spot across their front, also playing some edge stuff. They're at least committed to a vision here. Whether or not that's a good idea to go as light as they have up front, time will tell. But they are at least consistently showing that that's what they want to do. As I said in the intro, today I want to talk about Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur. Kind of each of them individually, then we'll close out with uh, what they may look like together. And we'll do that in the form of three listener questions here. The first of them comes from Queso, who has kind of a very thought-out question about Jordan Love's performance for this year. He submitted this in our Discord server, which if you want to join our Discord server, head over to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and become a contributor at any dollar amount. You can join the conversation there, and I'd recommend it. We have a lot of good discussions there about things on and off the football field. It's a great community. Hope you Hope to see you there at some point. Anyway, Queso wrote this some time back, actually before the draft. But uh, the question, 
caveats about the overall value of counting stats aside, what do you think is a good bar for success for Jordan Love in 2023 in terms of things like total yards, touchdowns, and interceptions that would make it clear that he's the long-term starter? And conversely, what's the low bar to the point where you are begging Gutekunst to take a quarterback in 2024? I really like the form of this question because you've got actually, you've got two ends of it. What's the high bar for success for Jordan Love? What's the low bar where you would want the Packers to move on? But I think there's actually sort of a middle point here. What What is just a baseline successful season for Jordan Love? So I think I want to start with that, then talk about where the Packers would be confident in love, super confident that they've got something extra special in love for 2024 and beyond. And then we'll talk about what if he ends up on the low end? What does that look like? So just I think the baseline bar for a successful season for Jordan Love looks something like Aaron Rodgers' first year as a starter. If you get to that level or so, I think you're you're saying this is a guy who looks like he can be a starting NFL quarterback. Just as a refresher, in 2008, Aaron Rodgers completed 63.6% of his passes for just over 4,000 yards, 28 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, a passer rating of 93.8, a quarterback rating of 62.6, according to ESPN's QBR stat, And importantly, passer rating and quarterback rating are two different things. We won't dive into the differences right now, but just terminology-wise, those are two different things. And then adjusted net yards per attempt, the number I like to fall back on a lot, he was at a 6.9 for 2008. At a base level, I think those counting stats are very doable. I think getting to 4,000 yards is not what it used to be, but if Love can get there, I think that's that's a good number to shoot for. 28 touchdowns might be a little bit on the higher end, but I think it is, it's very doable as well. Passing touchdowns were down last year, like outside of a couple of really elite guys. So I think, I think that's especially achievable to get kind of back to that level. It's not, it's less than two per game. So you can get to that point. 13 interceptions. If you, if you threw slightly more than that, I don't think it'd be a big problem. If you're under 13, I think you're doing great. Passer rating, pretty middle of the road there. QBR, not too bad. The adjusted net yards per attempt, not too bad either. You know, those are on the the upper end. But I think we should talk about the efficiency numbers too, because I think there is a bit of a narrative going around that Aaron Rodgers wasn't a terribly good quarterback his first year. Looking at the efficiency stats, here's where Aaron Rodgers ranked on some of those noteworthy numbers. In terms of passer rating, the kind of be-all, end-all, one-number stat there for all its warts and and shortcomings, he was sixth in the NFL. 93.8 was sixth best in the NFL in 2008. Adjusted net yards per attempt, he was 10th. QBR, he was 11th. Uh, Expanding our search outward to football outsiders numbers, he was 11th by defense-adjusted yards above replacement and 14th by DVOA, value over average. So I think the, the Rodgers struggled in 2008 narrative is a little bit overdone sometimes. I think there were some specific moments where he may have struggled, and that definitely hurt the Packers, especially considering their, their poor performance in one-score games that year. But overall, he was good enough to be very, very comfortably in the top half. And in most of these numbers, especially the efficiency numbers, most of them put him in the top third of quarterbacks in the NFL, or at least right on that number, right on that line of being in the top third. So I think if you're, if you're looking at a general ballpark for where you'd want to end, love to end up as a baseline, 2008 Rodgers is really good because you're probably looking at a guy who's probably top 10, 11 in the NFL for a guy who's still in his early 20s, starting for the first time, shoot, playing meaningful football for the first time really since 2019, 
that doesn't seem like too big of an ask there. Now, what if you really wanted to crank it up to where Queso was talking about here and get a guy where you really say, yeah, this is somebody we we really feel good about long term. We think that if he takes another step, he's going to be firmly in like the top five of quarterbacks in the NFL. I think you want to look at those same kind of numbers and look for him to be comfortably in the top like five to eight quarterbacks. That's at the very least in the top quarter of NFL starters approaching the top five. So what does that look like? Well, let's look at the 2021 numbers for the NFL. Completion percentage, the fifth best guy in the league was a, was actually an exact tie between Jimmy Garoppolo and Daniel Jones. They completed 67.2% of their passes. Matt Ryan was eighth with 67%. So a pretty narrow range there. In yards, Joe Burrow was fifth with just under 4,500 yards, 4,475 to be precise. Geno Smith, just under 4,300 was in eighth. Touchdowns, Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff tied for fifth with 29. Tom Brady was eighth with a bunch of others at 25. So there's your range there. Passer rating, Geno Smith was fifth at 100.9. Josh Allen was eighth at 96.6. Quarterback rating, Jared Goff again shows up fifth, 61.1. Eighth was Jacoby Brissett at 60. Adjusted net yards per attempt, Jalen Hurts fifth at 7.31. Trevor Lawrence eighth at 6.66. So I I ripped through a bunch of numbers there really fast, but I think just looking at the names, you start to see that Jordan Love's opportunity to get kind of into that top third to top quarter, statistically, the bar really isn't that high. Be roughly as good in a couple statistical categories as some combination of second year Trevor Lawrence, Jacoby Brissett, Geno Smith, Jared Goff. That's a pretty good first year, statistically speaking, for Jordan Love. Now we could talk about things like PFF grade and um, other things, EPA per attempt. If you really want to dig down into the numbers to talk about where he is, like, you know, the hardcore count, not counting stats, but hard for hardcore efficiency and grading stats, then you might really, you know, see that the bar is maybe a little bit higher for comparison wise. But if all you got to do to get into that top quarter is to be slightly better than 2022 you know, Jared Goff, you you can see how that is achievable if they build an offense around Jordan Love that makes him look good. Now, we'll talk about what that offense looks like here in a second, but I, I think we can see that it is achievable. Now, let's go to the extreme other end here. What kind of stat line would make you think that, okay, the Packers just absolutely need to move on here, and we've got to go to a painful chapter in Packers history for this. Let's rewind the clock to 2017. When Aaron Rodgers was out during the middle of that season, Brett Hundley started seven games. He played meaningful snaps against Minnesota. He also started two more after Aaron Rodgers returned, and then they immediately lost a game and got knocked out of the playoff run. But that seven-game starting stretch, while the Packers were still trying to compete, while they were still a team that, that had something to play for, he threw for 1,377 yards, seven touchdowns, and five interceptions. He also ran for 204 yards and two touchdowns. Projected over 17 games, that works over works out to just over 3,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. If Love has a season that looks like that, I think people would pretty rightly be screaming for a high draft pick at quarterback in 2024. And their situations are not all that different because Brett Hundley was in the Packers system for quite a while. Jordan Love has been in the Packers system for quite a while. Brett Hundley had more talent at receiver probably 
than than Rogers or than than Love did. You had Devontae Adams, uh, Jordy Nelson still kicking around. Randall Cobb was there. He had talent at receiver. He even got to throw to Martellus Bennett a couple times before that all went south. There was talent there, and Hundley just couldn't produce. And if Love puts up a stat line that's close to 2017 Brett Hundley, or at least the full season projections, the Packers should very seriously be looking at a quarterback early in the 2024 draft. And it shouldn't be all that difficult to do it if that's what happens, because if Love plays like that in 2023, the Packers are going to be at the top of the draft anyway. So not a, not a real big problem there. And I think at that point you say, look, we tried it. We're going to move on. If Jordan Love wants another shot in 2024, he can come in and compete with our top draft pick, but we're going to roll it back with our, our next five-year project here. So that's that's the Jordan Love part of this equation. What about Matt LaFleur? Matt phones in with this question, not Matt LaFleur, but, well, take it away, Matt. Hey, John. It's Matt from Ontario, Canada. My question's about Matt LaFleur. I'm wondering if there's more pressure on him this year with Jordan Love than there was in his first year with the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. I feel like with Jordan Love, we'll see the true Matt LaFleur offense as opposed to one that's kind of tailored towards Aaron Rodgers. Love to know what you think, and I love the podcast. Thank you, Matt, for the question. And just a reminder to everybody that you, if you would like to hear yourself on a future episode of Blue 58, we do have an opportunity to for you to do that through a service we use called SpeakPipe. There's a link to phone in your own question via SpeakPipe in every show notes that we post, every show description. You can do it right from your phone. It's really easy, and I appreciate everybody who takes the time to do that. So to answer Matt questions, Matt's question, I think that the pressure is more on Lafleur in 2023 than it was in 2019. Rewinding the clock to 2019, it was a complete cultural reset. You had an, an entire rebuild going on. You had um, new free agents coming in. You had Mike McCarthy going out. There was a lot more change going on with the Packers than, than this year. I know there has been a lot of talk about, you know, the turnover on the Packers offense and stuff like that. But I don't think compared to 2019, the big problems are, or the the big changes don't seem to be that dramatic. You're not running a new offense, you're not bringing in new people on on either side of the ball. You're not the expectations the continuity, I guess, is a lot more consistent from 2022 to 2023 than from 2018 to 2019. Going into this year, you're, you don't have Aaron Rodgers, obviously. You don't have Alan Lazard on offense. But in terms of other big changes, what, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, neither of those guys were huge factors for the Packers in 2022 anyway, outside of Lewis's blocking, which, to be fair, is very important. But in terms of big contributors, it should be all pretty much there. You've got Christian Watson, you've got Romeo Dobbs, you've got Samori Ture coming back for a second year. You've added in high draft picks in the form of Luke Musgrave and Jaden Reed and Tucker Kraft. It's it's a bunch of talent on offense. It should all be there. And outside of those guys, Matt LaFleur has been building this for a long time. But there are other reasons here too. First, Matt LaFleur was a part of the pro-love decision. He's been very strongly pro-love in terms of what, what he can do as a prospect and, and his development since pretty much day one. He has been very strongly pro-Jordan Love, and he chose, well, maybe he didn't choose, but he was a part of the decision to be in the Love era versus in the Rodgers era for 2023. Secondly, unlike 2019, he is now 
in the first big season of trying to put all, pull off the ultimate feat in coaching, developing a quarterback. Every coach says, either explicitly or implicitly, that this is something that they can do. Every offensive guy believes that he is the answer to unlocking the developmental quarterback puzzle. They think that they can be the one to fix him. They think it's like they're, they're entering a relationship with somebody that they know has problems, but they're saying, I can fix them. I am different. Everyone else was wrong. I am right. We're going to make this person better than they were before. Jordan Love, for all his development and all the strides that he has has made since 2020, we cannot forget he's always been a developmental quarterback. And as we talked about on draft night in 2020, there are loads of quarterbacks who go between the late first round, middle of the second round, who just flame out for very similar reasons. They they're all tend to be big-armed throwers. They all tend to be guys where they just say, oh, Look at the athleticism on this guy. He's just like nothing we've seen at the quarterback position before. They're all guys that had some flashy moments in college, but also inconsistent production elsewhere. And Jordan Love ticks all of those boxes. I'm not saying that he is one of those guys, but I'm saying there are guys like him in every single draft class. That was true then, and it's true now. And some of those guys went towards the top of the draft in in this year's draft class just due to the the overall quality of the, the quarterback class. But... Jordan Love is now and always has been a developmental prospect. And that's not a slight against Love. That's just a a realistic assessment of where he is as a player. Because if he wasn't that kind of player, he would have gone way out of the Packers range anyway. The guys that are closer to being finished projects just go toward the top of the draft. I think we all understand that. Saying he's a developmental prospect should not be seen as a slight against Jordan Love. Matt LaFleur, though, has been in the driver's seat for Jordan Love's development. He and now Tom Clements have been been the key part of that puzzle, taking Jordan Love from prospect to professional, to make a really like marketing slogan type thing out of it. They're, they've been driving this bus. They've been trying to get Jordan Love to the point where he can be in a, a good to great, not even good. They need him to be a great starting quarterback to justify all of this stuff, or I guess they're all going to end up out of job sooner or later, because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have much of anything. So there should be a lot of pressure on Matt LaFleur from that aspect. He's trying to pull off the toughest thing there is as a coach. Fixing, developing, if you want to use a more positive word there, developing a quarterback. It's very hard. Everybody says they can do it. Can they do it? That's the big question. And then finally, I think you're going to have a little bit of the LaFleur offense, as Matt talked about there, kind of on the on the witness stand here. Like, what is the Matt LaFleur offense? Can somebody please explain it to us? And I don't always buy a lot of the Aaron Rodgers-Matt LaFleur offense divide, at least not as a preferential thing. You know, what is the the Aaron Rodgers offense? What is the Matt LaFleur offense? I don't know. Because every team with an elite quarterback has the version of the offense that they, they want on paper and the version that's actually on the field. It just happens that way because elite players can get away with doing different things and they see things that other people don't and they can do things that other people don't and they can accomplish things that their their coaches want to do that they may not be able to do with other players. And tailoring things to guys like Aaron Rodgers is not an indictment of Lafleur or an indictment of Rodgers, him wanting to do it this way, because everybody tailors things to their elite players. Everybody wants to do things their own way. A painful example for Packers fans, but had the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
stuck with what they wanted to do in the first half of the season and kept running the hardcore Bruce Arians offense, there would have been no 2020 NFC Championship showdown between the Buccaneers and the Packers because the Buccaneers wouldn't have made it. Bruce Arians gave in and allowed Tom Brady to do more Tom Brady things, and their offense changed, and they got to the Super Bowl in part because of that. That's just what you do as a coach. You tailor the offense to the players that you have. But that is the key part for 2023. Tailoring the offense for Matt Laf- for for Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur figuring out what Jordan Love can do well and allowing him to do it, that's, that's the LaFleur offense we need to see. The schemes and concepts and stuff like that are secondary, important, but secondary. Figuring out what Jordan Love can do well and putting him in a situation where he can do it, that is the Matt LaFleur offense that we need to see, and that's what we need to see in 2023 to see big strides from Matt LaFleur. Now let's piece this all together, courtesy of a question from TK, again in our Discord server. Quote, after the first year of the Matt LaFleur era, there were changes going into year two where some things were tossed and things added that Rodgers liked from the McCarthy offense. Going into year one with LaFleur, is it building the current iteration of the offense or are we going to see the offense closer to a version we saw in year one of LaFleur or progression of that? End quote. The full question is a good one. I like it. I, I like the approach here. Going deep into LaFleur history, uh, it gets surprisingly deep now. We're we're well into this Matt LaFleur era. So are we going to see something closer to year one LaFleur, or are we going to see um, something more progressive than that? Are we going to see a new era of the LaFleur offense? I think it's a yes and no sort of thing. Because I think we, on the the one hand, we are going to see a return of some more core LaFleur slash Shanahan tree concepts. I think you're going to see a lot more motion in 2023 than we saw in 2022, in part because of personnel, but I think also in part because of schematic choice. The Packers didn't do a lot of the pre-snap motion that they did earlier in the LaFleur era in 2023, both I think out of preference from Rodgers and because they didn't really have anybody to do it. Since Tyler Irvin left town, they haven't had someone who's been able to mimic his skill set in the offense as a receiver, with his speed. They tried to do it a little bit with Aaron Jones, but you don't want to run him ragged just running horizontally as a decoy so much. But now that they've got a guy like Jaden Reed, they can move him around a lot more, get the defense moving, and I think that'll be a net positive for the Packers. And something just, uh, it'll it'll just be something we see more. I think you're also going to see more bootleg stuff with Jordan Love since he's probably got healthier and fresher legs than Aaron Rodgers. And my guess is probably that we'll see a lot more post-snap RPO stuff than we did in 2022. A lot of the, at least from from my viewing of it, a lot of the RPO stuff they did seemed to be primarily pre-snap, which is where Rodgers and the Packers offense actually got into a lot of trouble early in the season because they were letting the defense dictate to them more than dictating to the defense, moving based on what the defense was doing. They were getting trapped with some stuff like that. I think they're going to go to more post-snap reads in 2023, just to guess, uh, than they have recently. But also, we should remember that returning to 2020, 2019 stuff with the LaFleur offense is not going to be as much of an option anymore because the offense has also changed. Yes, you can return to some of the things that you were doing before, like motion and, and things like that, but also... There are just some fundamental changes that have happened in this offense that you're not really going to undo. The offense is less zone blocking based than it was in the past. There's a lot more man blocking stuff. If you listen to some of the more tape heavy Packers podcasts out there, 
the pin and pull stuff comes up a lot. You've got a, a tight end blocking down on the end of the line and a guard or even a center. Sometimes even tackle pulling around and moving in space. The Packers have shown some preference toward for getting their big guys moving in space uh, individually more than as a team before. There's less of that, you know, sort of on train tracks blocking uh, with the Packers. They still do it sometimes, but the the zone blocking, the wide zone stuff is not as prevalent as it used to be in this offense. You also have to remember that the personnel is different too. The Packers did what they did in the past because of the personnel that they had. That's always the big leader in in scheme stuff. You don't just sit there, out there and throw out your schemes. Uh, there's a, a great quote from a coach from eras past, but I, I can't remember what. I, there's going to be one listener who's rolling his eyes at me knowing who exactly this is. Uh, but he said something along the lines of, if schemes were all that mattered, we'd just go out to midfield and one guy would stack up his schemes and the other guy would stack up his schemes and whoever had the bigger stack of schemes would win. The point of schemes is to maximize your players and your, your scheme is going to follow your players. So the schemes that the Packers ran, the offense that the Packers ran in 2019 and 2020, was there because of the players that they had. The Packers have different players now. Still, some of the the constants are there. Aaron Jones is still there. A.J. Dillon is in year four. But the the overall talent is different than it was in the past. You don't have Devontae Adams, so you're not going to run stuff that highlights what Devontae Adams can do. You don't have MVS, so you're not going to run things that primarily center around what MVS can do. You don't have a receiver like Alan Lazard anymore, so you're not going to be running the Alan Lazard insert packages and stuff like that. He's not going to be blocking down like a quasi tight end type deal anymore. So things are going to change a little bit. But the Packers do also now have two big athletic tight ends, which is something they haven't had in ever. You're probably looking back to the 90s for the last instance of the Packers having two really effective tight ends at the same time. And of course, the jury is still out on whether or not Musgrave and Kraft can be effective together. But I think you understand what I'm getting at there. They, they haven't had two big athletic tight ends that are at least theoretically effective together in a long, long time. They haven't had this much speed among their pass catchers in a long time either. The Packers have been very like short area, one-on-one quickness type receiver stuff with some long speed. You know, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the, the epitome of long speed there. It takes him a, a, a while to get built up, but once he's going, he's going, he's gone. Uh, a lot of teams learned that the hard way. Uh, once he gets up to top speed, you're probably not catching him. Alan Lazard, similar to that, a little bit longer runway even, but once he gets up ahead of steam, he's difficult to bring down. The Packers just have a lot of pure speed now. Christian Watson is as fast a receiver as I can ever recall seeing in Green Bay. Uh, Romeo Dobbs is no slouch either, though not as fast as Watson, but who is? And the Packers added more speed in Jaden Reed here too, plus their two fast tight ends in Musgrave and Kraft. It's, it's a good group in terms of their athleticism, so things are going to look differently. So just looking at the LaFleur offense... I don't know if it's entirely accurate to say we're going to go back. I think we will see the return of some things or or a reintroduction of some things from from earlier Matt LaFleur era stuff. But overall, I think we should look at this as a continual evolution with maybe old concepts being sprinkled in than something where Matt LaFleur is going to sit down and say, okay, now I can do what I really wanted to do all the time because that's, that's just not the way that coaching happens. Your scheme is always going to follow the talent that you have on the field. And the most important thing to remember about 2023, and I feel like this is something we're going to say a lot over the next months and maybe through the end of the year, is that 
the talent, this the the personnel is just different than we've seen in Green Bay. There's just been a lot of turnover at a lot of different positions on the offense, and figuring out how that all goes together is going to be a big challenge for Matt LaFleur in 2023 and a really cool thing for all of us to watch. I'm excited for that, and I hope we, we can all be excited about that together, whatever happens this season in terms of wins and losses. It's not going to be boring. I, I'm excited for whatever happens because even if they lose a whole bunch of games, it's going to look different. It's going to look weird at some times. Sometimes it's going to look bad, but part of things being good is sometimes they have to start out bad. One of my favorite quotes comes from G.K. Chesterton. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And you got to start out someplace. The Packers' starting place might not be all that great this year, but hopefully they're building towards something a lot better in the future. And the building process is what we're all going to see this year. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.